Good morning, especially those who are here maybe for the first time. Very glad that you're here, and I hope you'll enjoy the service and some friendships that you either already have or maybe you'll make some new ones. So uh, either way, that's a win-win. So uh, my name is Ralph Howe, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, glad to, to be here this morning. I've had a good full week, like I'll bet a lot of you did. I've talked to some people who were out of town all week and flying and hotels and restaurants and so I'm sure it's good to be back home for the weekend here. So um, we have been going through a series. We're now in our third week uh, called Why Am I Here? And it's just the idea of, you know, why am I in Beijing? Why am I in this season of life? You know, what is it? And so we've been looking at a man named Tara, who is Abraham's father. We got some insights out of his life. And then last week, we just began to look at Abraham. And um, we just got started into him. And the thing that we know about Abraham is that by the end of his life, God considered him to be a man of great faith and a man who was a friend with God. And we have the verse in James chapter 2, verse 23. This summarizes, uh, you know, Abraham's life once it was over. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So that, that really inspires me, encourages me, makes me think, you know, boy, that's possible to, to be a person of the kind of faith that God would say, this is a friend of mine. So I just ask questions. I just go, well, why? You know, why was Abraham considered that way? When you read his story, you see he makes lots of mistakes. He makes bad decisions. He has time where his faith seems to be wavering and he tries to control things by himself. And yet God said, he was a man of great faith, so I'm encouraged. Uh, and the other thing that we know that Abraham did, as you read the end of his story in Genesis, is that he made God famous in the culture where he lived. And boy, that should be one of the bullseyes for every one of us, right? So we're just going to continue on with Abraham's story. I'll pull out some, some uh, insights that I hope will be useful. We stopped last week in Genesis. We went through Genesis 12. We just started in Genesis 13. And so now we're going we're gonna to continue on, and uh, I'm kind of going to summarize. Genesis, Genesis 13, uh, what happens is Abraham has a business decision to make. Um, he has traveled with his flocks and his herds, which represented his wealth, right? And he came with an entourage, some family and some workers, and he also came with his nephew Lot, and his nephew Lot also had flocks and herds, which was the primary business of the day. So let's put it into our terms. This was their business, right? Raising cattle, raising sheep. This is how they acquired wealth. And so they came to the land where there were other people also in that business, by the way. There were other people looking for rivers and springs of water and wells so that they could feed their animals and gain more and more wealth. And so Abraham and Lot had a problem because they had so many cattle and sheep and things that they were, their, their herdsmen were fighting each other. And so Abraham looked at Lot and he said something that I think is amazing. And here's what he said in Genesis chapter 13, verse 9. See, you got to realize Abraham is the leader, right? I mean, this is his nephew. His nephew is younger. And they've walked into an unknown business environment, right? I mean, again, let's put it in our own terms here, not some biblical thing that we can't touch, right? They've walked in with competitors. They don't know, you know, just how big of a market there's going to be and all that kind of stuff. And Abraham looks at Lot when he realizes they're too close together and there's too much trouble going on. And Abraham says, Lot, the whole countryside is open to you. 
Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. And if you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Now, that's an amazing thing to say, and it highlights something that I want to make my first point. I believe one of the reasons why Abraham qualifies as a man of faith is because he trusted God with his finances. He showed a lot of trust by having that attitude towards his business, right? He just say, hey, listen, you know, what he basically was saying, he was saying, I know God's my provider. I mean, my talents are not my provider. Your company, your um, industry that you're in, you may be in a rock-solid industry. You know, oh, I'm, a, I'm providing because of my industry. No, you're not. God is our provider. And I believe that Abraham modeled that in a real, real clear way. So there's a phrase that I love in Psalm 50. So I'll read a few verses and highlight the one, the one line that I like. God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he's talking about their offerings. And he says this, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I love that. I know every bird of the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For all the world is mine and everything in it. And I love this phrase, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? Because you've got to recognize, like, God's not saying, I like sheep. Right? I mean, that's, he's not saying, I, I think sheep are cute, so I have lots of sheep. Right? You know what God's saying? God was saying, I am loaded I mean, I am so wealthy beyond anything you could imagine that there's nothing that's a challenge for me, right? So if we were to rewrite that, and I'm not rewriting the Bible, by the way, but if this was in our language, this might have read something like this. I own all the advertising rights on Facebook. As, as a matter of fact, I own all the advertising rights on the entire Internet, right? I own all of Google, Disney, and Apple stock, and the gold and the silver mines are mine as well right? I mean, that's what that verse sounded like. And I think Abraham at that point in his life had tapped into the fact that he was blessed and he was able to provide for his family, not because of his talents, not because of his industry. Certainly God gives us those things and works in it, but because God is the provider. And I would like that to settle into your spirit. I would like it to settle deeper into my spirit. Um, I told a story earlier this year I kind of forget if it was last year or this year, but I'll just briefly tell you a couple of kind of ways I've seen God show up in fun ways and be faithful to me. When my wife and I were first married, we talked about what vacations would you want to go on and that kind of thing. So we tried to plan a trip to Italy, and we just didn't have the money. We kind of had the money if we spent everything, you know. And at the same time, uh, our church was doing a building project, and we had made a pledge, you know, above our normal giving that to us was a bit of a stretch, and I could see we do extra work. It was kind of fun to, you know, we're going to sacrifice to give to the church to build on this project. And so I was praying about, you know, God, you know, should we go to Italy? Should we spend all this money? And I knew it would be foolish. I thought, okay, we're just not going to go. And, um, like, in the course of the next five to seven days, a check comes to the house, or, or a letter comes to the house. And my wife's at work, and I'm home, and I get the thing, and I open it up, and it's a check for a lot of money. Like, like it had zeros at the end of it, right? Like a good number of zeros, right? I don't mean like tens of thousands of dollars, but it had zeros on it, right? And um, it had three zeros on it, okay? I'll, three zeros on it. <laughs> and I looked at the check, and I knew the person that wrote it, and it's made out to, you know, to us. And I'm like, my wife gets home, and I'm like, um, 
what's this? You know? And she said, oh. She looked at it. She said, oh. You know what? She said, I had loaned them money years ago, like before we were married. She said, I had loaned them money years ago, and this is a partial loan repayment. That was like, partial? <laughs> I mean, how much more is coming? You know, this is great. You know? And so the check was enough for us. We had made a pledge that over three years, you know, we would give extra money to the church. The pledge was enough to cover our, the, the check was enough to cover our three-year pledge and supplement enough so that we could make our trip to Italy. It's amazing. God's my provider, right? So now we, you know, that was before we even had children, right? So we went to Italy, had a wonderful time, great memories. And uh, so, you know, we moved here three and a half years ago. And I had budgeted in my budget when we moved here that we would fly back to America for a visit every two winters. You know, we just looked at, hey, you know, here's what we're making. Here's what we're going to do. We've got six people with plane tickets. So we're going to go every other year. That was our plan. The first year we ended up going home. We just thought it was important that first year to reconnect. So the second year came around, which was two years ago, and it was October, and um, I was praying about whether or not we could go home. And, you know, again, there was some money sitting there, but it's like you don't want to spend all of it, you know, and plane tickets. And so I was praying over a period of weeks um, about this. And um, some friends of ours who lived in Beijing for a time and then moved to another country, they had moved like maybe in September. And I was here, I was now we're in October of 2011. And in the summer of 2011, they had a few things going on, and they asked my wife and I if we would meet with them a few times, and we did, and, you know, maybe we were able to help them a little bit. And so they move, they leave, we have a party, they go away, they're gone. And we get an email, and they're like, send us your bank account number. I was like, is this a scam? (laughs) You know, it's like, they tell us not to do this, you know. And they're like, no, we want to send a gift to thank you guys, you know, for what you did for us. We were like, absolutely not. There was, there was no reason to this. Like the fact that they would give us something wasn't even the seed of a thought in my mind, not even close. Right. And uh, they said, no, really, really, we got a big bonus with this job thing. And we just, God has told us to give this certain amount to you. So I was like, Melinda, okay. So we do. So we send the thing. We don't know how much they're sending. Right. So I'm checking the bank account every couple days, you know, <laughs> and they, they sent us 40,000 RMB unbelievable. And I was saying, God, can we fly home? And that paid for our plane tickets home. And I thought, you know what? God has provided for my family to go home that year. Unbelievable, right? See, God is our provider. It's not, it's not us. And Abraham saw that. You know, one, one other story, because I, I just really enjoyed what happened with my wife and I last summer. Um, we're working, you know, we're going along and we're, you know, we're saving money so we can go back to America in the winter, this past winter. And it's it's uh, like late June of last year in the summer. And a friend of mine calls me up and he says, hey, I'm going to Scotland. I'm going to St. Andrews. And there's going to be a ministry event there. And I think you should go. And now St. Andrews is the home of golf. It's my favorite city in the world. Number one favorite city in the world. So right away I'm thinking we're saving money for this the trip home. I can't spend the money on that. Thank you so much for the offer. He said, no, no. God told me you're supposed to go. And I'm paying for your plane ticket. And I was like, I'm going to Scotland, baby. <laughs> yeah. No, I was like, you know, gee, you know, I, I shouldn't take the time away from my family, the time off of work. And, but I went and talked to my wife. It turned out work was fine with it. And uh, my wife said, honey, you should go. It's just it's your favorite place in the world. And, you know, just your dream to go there. And I thought, I think God's just 
blessing me with this trip out of nowhere. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So two days later, my friend calls up after I say, hey, I'm going to do it. And he says, hey, I've been praying about the trip, and I think your wife should come too. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pay for a ticket for my wife. This is exactly. The only problem with this is that you thought of it, and I didn't, right? So I was like, when we tell my wife this, we're going to tell her that I thought of it, okay? That was like, that was like the only problem in the story, right? So... My friend says, no, 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 I have ministry money set aside that was given to me, and God's told me to fly you and your wife to Scotland. So we went to Scotland for a week, and I'm just, just because I love the trip so much, and here's a picture, I know this picture, you can't see it too well, but can you see it at all? Okay, that's my wife in Scotland, the most beautiful European little town, and we walked around holding hands and drinking tea, and we took walks on the beach, it was unbelievable. I got to play golf on the old course in St. Andrews, you know, that's me beneath the hat there. And uh, I tell you, the old course is my favorite place in the world, uh, my favorite place to play golf. And um, I had played there 23 years earlier. And the way I got on the course that day is, like, you can't play it. It's too crowded, right? But you can put your name in for a lottery the day before you want to play. And probably 500 people put their name in and 40 people get to play, right? So I'm flying through Paris, and we put our name in on the computer in Beijing, and we're flying to Paris... And then we're going to there, to, to Scotland. And I'm on my phone checking the St. Andrew's website to see if my name is on the tea times. And the internet goes out. <clears throat> and I can't get it. But somehow we were able to send a text message to a friend in America. And I texted him and I told him, I'm getting on the plane in 15 minutes. You've got to tell me if we're going to play. And so my friend's in America looking at the thing and he's texting me. And as we're walking onto the plane in France, he's like, you're in. You're playing at 7.20 in the morning. I got to play the old course. My wife and I had an amazing trip to Scotland, and I've told these stories for too long, but just to emphasize the point that God has no challenge when it comes to finances. And if you're walking through a time of challenge in finances, there's a purpose to it. God's doing something in you, right? Um, Peter had a conversation with some people, and they were talking about taxes, So Peter goes to Jesus and said, hey, should we pay our taxes? And Jesus did the funniest thing. I mean, just the funniest thing. Jesus said, Peter, we should pay taxes. Here's what I want you to do. Take your fishing pole, go down to the water, throw the line, and the first fish that you catch, I want you to open his mouth, and you're going to pull out a large silver coin for our taxes. You ever read that? Surely you went like this, right? You know what? I think Jesus said that. And I think Peter walked around away, and I think Jesus had the biggest smile on his face. You know, I bet Jesus, I'm sure he didn't do this, but just let my mind wander. I'll bet Jesus, maybe he snuck up behind a bush by the lake, and he was just waiting to watch Peter to see him, you know, and see Peter reach in and go, you know. God is our provider. And we see that in the faith of Abraham, in the way that he responded in this situation with Lot. So there's, there's one point to make. As we continue going through and trying to understand him. Um, now, that's chapter 13 in Genesis. Chapter 14 in Genesis, you can read it, but a different situation comes up. And Abraham has a significant family crisis. Um, family crisis is common to all of us at one point or another. And he has a really big crisis, right? And he goes out and he handles it. But it happens in a way um, that maybe it shook his faith a little bit. Like, not his faith in God, maybe, But maybe it shook him in a way that he just wondered about God's calling, you know. And when we have crisis, especially family crisis, you know, I had a a crisis in my side of the family last month. I flew home 
to be there and everything's going well there now. My wife is in America right now on a totally different crisis on the other side of her fa- our family, and she's there for two weeks, right? Which, of course, it leads to a third crisis because I'm here with the four kids by myself. So <laughs> we've got lots of crisis, right? Um, Abraham had a family crisis. He dealt with it, but I think it shook him. And I think it shook him to the point where God comes to him in the beginning of Genesis 15, and he says this. God said to Abraham, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. And in another version it says, I will be your shield and I will protect you. And I think God came to Abraham at that point because he was wavering. He was struggling. And God was reminding him of the promise. He was reminding him that he was there. The story moves on. Uh, Oh, no, sorry. Let me say this. Um, John the Baptist, great preacher in the New Testament. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. The second Jesus showed up, John the Baptist told everybody, this is the Son of God, this is the Savior, this is Him, He's arrived, this is it. Everybody was believing it, hearing it, and he was an amazing preacher, right? John understood his role. He said, Jesus is going to get greater and greater, and I'm going to become less and less. I had my moment as as the preacher, but now Jesus is here, right? And John the Baptist was full of faith. Short time later, John the Baptist gets arrested, ended up, ends up being killed in prison. But while he's in prison, for some length of time, his disciples go to see him, and he says, hey, go to Jesus and ask him if he's really the one or if we should be looking for someone else. Right? See, what, what was happening in John's story? The same thing that happens in my story. I need to be reassured when my circumstances don't always line up with the picture of what I think God's blessings are supposed to be in my life, right? So it's common to walk through crises, circumstances, wonder a bit. And God comes to him and he comes to us and God gave me this verse when my family moved to China. You know, don't be afraid for I will protect you and your reward will be great. So maybe you need to put your name in there. I put my name in there. Do not be afraid, Ralph, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. And another verse says, your reward will be great in me, meaning in God, which I really like. Um, <clears throat> so Genesis 16, another time comes where Abraham makes some decisions that aren't so good. And it kind of maybe loses his way a little bit. Um, and then absolutely amazing to me. Um, between the end of Genesis 16, the last verse in 16, and the first verse in Genesis 17... 13 years go by. I mean, we're reading all these details about Abraham's story, and all of a sudden there's a 13-year window where nothing is recorded. And I don't even have much to say about that other than to say, you know what he was doing? He was living his life. He was living his normal life just like you are, just like I am. He was walking with God. He was advancing. He was sliding back. He was moving forward. And God was there the whole time. But 13 years went by, and nothing was recorded. I find that amazing and important for some reason, and I'm not even sure why, but that's okay. So when God does come to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 1, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me, and be blameless. Now, if you hadn't heard from God in 13 years and he showed up, 
and he spoke, we'd be so interested in what he said. God's refocusing Abraham in the most important message. I am God. You walk before me and be blameless. And then as the next four chapters roll on, all the promises and the timing, the mysterious timing of God come to pass, right? And it's an amazing thing. This son that had been promised to Abraham so many years earlier is born and grows into a young man. And it's an amazing thing. And no doubt Abraham loved his son and, and enjoyed his son and told his son about all the promises God had given him that through his son Isaac, all these People were going to be born and the world was going to be blessed and they were going to become a great nation through the son Isaac. And then so many of you know the last part of this story. In Genesis 22, when Isaac is a young man, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Unthinkable. Unthinkable. And I think, why does Abraham qualify to be a man of faith? He didn't walk perfectly, but... As he grew and he grew and he grew, he walked with God. And even when you read the language in Abraham, Abraham said, I will do whatever God tells me, and I will trust him 100%. And that's what Abraham does. You know, there's a real value. There's a real value to youthful passion. You know, I mean, you know, a, a, a youthful passion walks like this. You know, youthful passion, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, you know. And then like a seasoned kind of where Abraham's at in his life yet. And I'm not there yet, but I've seen it in other people and it's beautiful. They walk different. They don't walk with their confidence. They walk with God's confidence, you know. Youthful passion is so brilliant and beautiful and important. And it says, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then that mature seasoned voice says, we'll do it if it's God's will. And if it's not God's will, we'll do whatever his will is. And there's a softness, but there's a strength to it. And I think that's where Abraham was at when he got to Genesis 22. This could make no sense. Sacrifice my son, but the promise comes through my son. Why would you do this? But Abraham goes to do it. And, of course, God stops him. He never intended for him to do it. But God will continue to bring tests and challenges or allow them to happen so that we can continue to learn more and more to trust in him. And... You know, just kind of to wrap up, then we'll, we'll worship again. You know, when, when, when Isaac, when Abraham brings Isaac, if you know the story, it's amazing. If you don't know it, I'll summarize it. Um, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to go to a specific place. It's about a three-day walk, and you're going to sacrifice him there. And Abraham and Isaac, and they take two servants, and they go to this mountain, Mount Moriah, which is the place where Jesus goes through his trial and all of his stuff and his crucifixion. And they walk up the hill. And as they're walking up the hill, the two people with them go a short distance and they stop. And then Abraham takes the wood that was going to be for the sacrifice. And he loads it up on Isaac's shoulders. And Isaac walks up the hill to the place where he's going to be sacrificed. Which was the same place Jesus walked up so many years later. With the wood for the sacrifice being carried by him. Isaac's a picture of Jesus. That's part of why God did that story. To foreshadow Jesus. Abraham was a picture of the son. And of course... The New Testament explains all this for us and even says that Abraham received his son back from the dead three days later because Abraham was so full of faith at that time that he lost his son. The day God said, do this, he said, I will do it. It makes no sense, but I will do it. So in a sense, he received his son back from the dead three days later, just like Jesus. It's amazing. 
amazing stuff. So, so we've just taken a little snapshot, you know, at the life of Abraham and uh, tried to understand why he qualifies as a friend of God. And, of course, why was he where he was? Because God had called him there. And uh, why are you where you are? Uh, because God's called you as well. So um, we're going to have the worship team's going to come up and we're going to worship. And uh, then after that, we'll have a final word and a final announcement as well. Um, so let me, let me pray for us and, uh, and we'll worship. God, teach us what it means. Teach us what it means to, to truly know your voice in our life. God, show us what things are distractions that keep us from our time with you, that keep us from the thoughts that come with you. Give us the wisdom that comes from a relationship with your spirit in a way that we know that we know that we know who you are, where you are, what it is you're doing in our life. God, teach us more deeply and more simply how to surrender to what you're calling us to. Thank you for the example of Abraham. He didn't do it perfect, but he made you famous. And God, may we as a church make you famous in this community. May we as individuals and families and married couples shine a light in a way that people are drawn to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.